We're talking tonight about the discipline of confession. This is something we as Baptists don't get very well a lot of times. There's really two aspects to confession. We're really good on the individual side, confessing your sins to God. In fact, we we talk about that a lot, um, especially in the context of evangelism and in the context of trying to see people come to faith in Christ. We will talk about confessing your sins to God, recognizing that you're a sinner. You know, A, admit to God you're a sinner. C, confess your faith in Jesus as your Savior. And so of the ABCs of salvation, two of the three uh, kind of hit at this point of confession. And so so we teach, we teach kids in vacation Bible school that to confess to Jesus your sins and trust him as Lord. And that's right. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we often miss the second aspect of confession, and that's confession to one another. And so tonight as I'm talking, I don't want you just to hear confession in that limited sense of confession to God. I also want you to be thinking about confession toward each other. Um, and hopefully, maybe, maybe through this, we can all grow a little bit in grace. Confession, there's a couple of points that I really want to bring out about confession. First of all, is that confession is God's means to forgiveness. If you want to know how to be forgiven by God, it's by confession. Now, here's the, this is kind of the, the, the place where we are all comfortable, especially as Baptists. We are very comfortable with this. In fact, we recognize this so much. 1 John 1, 9 is one of our favorite verses. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We talk of that as a promise that God says that if you will confess your sin, that it will be forgiveness for you, that God will forgive you for your sin. And that's absolutely correct. But notice, confession is not just admitting your sin. If all we do is admit that we have messed up, it puts us in no better company than Pharaoh. How many times did Moses perform some kind of act, deliver word from God, and God performed some kind of great act on Egypt, and Pharaoh called Moses in and said, I've sinned, I will let your people go, just remove this curse from me. Plague after plague after plague, Pharaoh admits that he's wrong and says, I have sinned, but there never seems to be any difference, does there? Think about Saul. Saul, in in 1 Samuel 15, Saul is supposed to destroy the Amalekites, not take anything from of them as a possession for Israel. No booty from the spoils of war, nothing. You, You kill every man and woman and child. You destroy every beast. You don't take a single property of theirs as as any color of payment. It's all destined to destruction. It's all harem. It's all under the divine curse of God. And what does he, what does Saul do? He spares the king and he spares some gold and stuff and some oxen and then some animals and stuff. And then he tells Samuel, well, all this was for sacrifice for God. And Samuel says, you have disobeyed God. And then Saul says, I've sinned, but won't you come and let's sacrifice this together? See, there's no real repentance there, is there? It's just a, it's a, it's an admission, and that's good. That's a great place to start. But when that's all that it is, it's got to be more than that. 
And so when I'm talking about confession here, and when John is talking about confession here, he is not merely saying, if you'll just say you've done wrong. This kind of confession goes beyond that. It goes beyond the confession of Achan. Achan, uh, if you remember the story, the Israelites have come in. They have overrun Jericho. God said, just like with the Amalekites uh, under Saul's leadership, uh, uh, he said, he said of, of, the Jer- of the city of Jericho, don't keep anything for yourselves. Destroy everything. It all belongs to me. And Achan says, well, that's a nice coat. I'll, you, I'll just keep a little bit of this gold here and just a couple little trinkets. Stuff them under my sleeping mat in my tent. Nobody, what's the harm? Nobody will ever know. They go to Ai, a town so small it could only fit two letters in its name, and they're destroyed. The people of Ai run them ragged. It's the only time in the book of Joshua that Israelites are said to die in war. It's the only time Israelites die in war in the book of Joshua is in the city of Ai, the smallest town possible. And they come back and, what, what have we done? And they're sorrowful for, before God. And, and you know what God says? He says, what are you doing complaining to me? They're sitting in your camp. <laughs> That's my paraphrase. Go, go fix your problems and then come to me. They start a lottery. They look at the 12 tribes. Pick out this tribe. The tribe comes before with all their ma- major sections. It's that section they come before the, the, the families by clans, and it's that clan. And you know, Aiken's knees are knocking now, man. They're just systematically zeroing in on him, and, and his heart is pounding out of his chest. And then, as they line up before uh, the people of God, God tells Joshua, it's him, it's Aiken. And Joshua says, bless the Lord, tell what you've done. And you know what Aiken says? I have sinned. It's confession, right? No. No, that was admission. But there was nothing else he could do. Adrian Rogers tells the story about a time when he was a young kid and they, they lived on Florida Avenue at the time. And uh, Florida Avenue was a very busy street. And so, so his mom told him over and over and over again, him and his brother, don't go in the street. Well, one time Adrian's sitting on the curb and his feet are in the street, you know, just like that. And little, our big brother, big brother says, oh, I'm going to go tell mama. Because <laughs> that's what big brothers do, right? They go, they go tattle on little brothers or whatever. You know, that's what, that's what siblings do. So he runs and tells mama. And Adrian said, I can remember, I heard him telling mama. And mama went to find daddy. And at that point, Adrian knew it was trouble. So he goes and he runs and hides in his room, closes the door behind him, and hides in his room and he can hear dad coming up the stairs calling for Adrian, 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 you know, like looking all throughout and he goes under his bed in the bedroom before his father comes in and finally he's found out, he comes out from under the bed and he says, dad, you remember when you told me that if we will just confess what we've done wrong to you, (laughs) he cuts it off mid-sentence, he says, I'm here to tell you folks, that didn't work. (laughs) The way he put it, uh, his father put the board of education on the seat of knowledge. That's the way Adrian put it. Sometimes that's all you can do is admit you're wrong, right? I mean, you're caught. You know it. Everybody knows it. All you can do is admit. That's not confession. Confession goes beyond that. Confession goes beyond just admission of guilt down to repentance of sin. 
And so when this says, if we confess our sins, what, it, what it's really saying is, and turn from them, then he's faithful. Otherwise, it's like we don't even think we have sin. It's not a problem. Oh yeah, okay, I screwed up. Yeah, you, you caught me. That, that's not confession. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Um, it's not on there. Okay. I tried to update it and it didn't update in time. So uh, Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Confession is God's means for forgiveness. When we confess our sins in a repentant heart, a broken and contrite heart, you will not despise, says David in Psalm 51. Richard Sibbs was a Puritan preacher. He said this, the way to cover our sin is to uncover it by confession. The way for God to spare us is not to spare ourselves. We think of the shame that comes from admitting our guilt, admitting that we're wrong, whether it's to God or whether it's to other people. We feel the shame of the guilt of having done whatever it is that we've done. And I think it was Am Ambrose of Milan uh, said that you think of that grief, think of that shame as like plowing the field, preparing the soil, watering the seed so that the crop can yield a good harvest. This is the means by which we get forgiveness. And yes, there is shame. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But man, is it necessary to really do the work in us that God wants to do. Confession forces us to face the reality of our sin head on. That's why it's God's means for forgiveness. Because if you dance around it, you never really get the gravity of it. You're never really ready to turn if you don't face it head on. Second thing, confession is God's means of forgiveness. God's forgiveness brings freedom. There is a freedom in this Christian life that comes from being forgiven by God. Have you ever, um, have you ever done something wrong to someone and it's so scared, so anxious because you know they're going to find out? A couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I was working a shift. I was scheduled to work a shift, and I talked with uh, one of the leaders at my work that, that I couldn't come in quite on time. I had to uh, deal with a, a, kid, a child had an appointment, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to be there on time, and so I said, I can be there an hour later. Is it okay if I just shift back an hour? Um, and, and that person was like, yeah, sure, no problem. I didn't tell the shift leader that was in charge on that day like, didn't include them. So all morning long, that morning, I was, I was getting knots in my stomach thinking, oh no, I'm going to end up getting in trouble because, because I didn't tell the shift leader on, you know, that, that's running that shift. And, and I had knots in my stomachs the whole time. And finally, when I got in, I said, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Peyton told me all, you're good. You're good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have, there's like going to be a meeting in the office and I'm, I'm going to get written up or something about this. I mean, I was anxious about it and, and they were just like, yeah, we, you're covered. You're good. Don't worry about it. There's a freedom that comes from confession, isn't there? There's a freedom from realizing that you have not, you don't have to bear that burden anymore. And when God forgives you, it's not just a temporary freedom 
of, well, okay, I did them wrong, but they've forgiven me, so that's good. That relationship's back. There's something, it's almost like it breathes new life into you. Um, Brother Lawrence was a monk in a monastery, and he, he was a cook. Now, in normal situations, monks would trade off jobs every so often. They'd move to a different job. Brother Lawrence was such a good cook, they just kept him in the kitchen. Okay? I mean, he, he was a good cook. But he was also someone who was known for being constantly in God's presence. And if you've ever been in a kitchen, especially in a kitchen that cooks for a lot of people, you know if there's one thing that does not describe a kitchen, it is peace. <laughs> there is so much going on, so much hectic going around. Before I worked in a restaurant, I would have never understood just how bad it is. Now that I've done that, I know for a fact a kitchen is not a peaceful place. And yet this guy was just known for the peace that he constantly had about him. Listen to his description. He said, I consider myself, he's talking about when he sins, I consider myself as the most wretched of men, full of sores and corruptions, and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Moved with deep sorrow, I confess to him all my weaknesses. I ask his forgiveness. I abandon myself in his hands that he may do with me what he pleases. Watch this. This king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, embraces me with love, makes me to eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me unceasingly in a thousand and a thousand ways and treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is thus that I consider myself from time to time in his holy presence. That's the kind of freedom that confession brings. Psalm 51. We read a good part of this psalm. We talked about a good part of this psalm last week. After confessing sin and after asking God to create in him a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and lead me in life everlasting. Then he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways. There is a freedom. Now that I'm forgiven, I can do the right thing. See, before, before confession, it was all grief and shame. It was all knots in your stomach. But now I'm free to serve you, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into His courts with thanksgiving and with praise. There is a freedom that comes from confession. He continues in verse 14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Like His tongue is, is bound by guilt. And when he's delivered, it is free to sing. God's forgiveness brings freedom. Another aspect of forgiveness that I think that confession leads to forgiveness and God's forgiveness brings freedom, but God's forgiveness, by the way, is also a ministry of the church. It's not just God's job to forgive. It's our job to forgive. It's a ministry that we do as the body of Christ toward each other. We do this toward one another. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 18, uh, Peter comes up to him and he says, Lord, if a brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, the, the, I guess he's wanting to show off here because the, uh, the Pharisees would say three times. 
Three strikes and you're out. You can forgive him three times. After that, you're done. Peter, Peter says, as many as seven times? Should I forgive seven times? Jesus says, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, Peter. Try 77 times. Don't just, don't just go above and beyond what you think. Just like go massively beyond. It would be like, uh, <laughs> well, no, it is exactly like when your kids do that same thing that they've been doing and been doing and been doing and you keep telling them and keep telling them and keep telling them and you keep forgiving them and forgiving them and forgiving them because that's how God forgives us. Any of you ever sin one time and that was all you needed, just that one time to do something wrong? You may? No. We learn the lesson the hard way way too often, don't we? And God continues to forgive. So should we. So should we. We, we extend forgiveness toward one another. Uh, Ephesians 4, 32. Uh, James especially, but even Mitchell should know this verse well, right? This, is the theme, this was the theme verse at EMCA. So, so when they were going there every morning, they would start with the pledges and, and they, would do, they would say this verse together every morning. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I know, I learned it in the King James too, so I want to insert some extra words in there too. That's okay. Same point though. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. It's a ministry we do. It's a way that we help people heal by giving forgiveness. James 5.16. <laughs> I won't spend much time because we talked about it last Sunday morning. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then I great promise. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Forgiveness is our ministry, y'all. It's a ministry that we do toward one another. But it's also a ministry, by the way, that we do toward the world too. Three different times that, that I want to point out. He said it a lot more. But these three I want to point out. All words of Jesus. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said. He does this about several things. He, you've heard it said about divorce and about murder and about all kinds of different things. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is what he says just before this one. Now he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And I don't cancel love your neighbor. But now we're going to love our enemies too. And watch. And pray for those who persecute you. You don't persecute them. No, you count yourself blessed to be persecuted. He says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, right? When, when blessed are you, when men revile you and persecute you and say all men are against, of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that are before you. Now he says, don't just consider yourself blessed, but pray for the people that are persecuting you. Uh, Mitchell, sit up. Mark 11. Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. At one point, Jesus even says, if, you've, if, that, if, you've, if, if somebody has something against you and you haven't forgiven them, don't even bring your money to the altar. Don't even put your money in the collection box. Go make it right with that person first. If you've wronged somebody, go make it right with them and then come and give. Like, that's how important this is to him. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Forgive us 
our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Seems like Jesus is wanting us to get something here, doesn't it? <laughs> Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as soon as he says it, they're over there trying to figure out who's going to get his clothes. They, they don't know what they're doing, God. Please forgive them. Forgiveness is a ministry that Jesus extended to the world. But it's also a ministry that we as his church must extend to the world too. One more thing I want to point out. Going back more toward confession. We kind of talk about forgiveness for a second. Turn back to confession. The thing that really scares us about confessing our sins is that we have to come face to face with our own deficiencies. When we have to confess to one another or to God, we are basically admitting that we are screw-ups, that we have failed, that we know the right thing and we haven't done it. Instead, we've done wrong. And man, that's a shot to the pride that is hard to stomach. Uh, in, I think it's in Revelation. No, it's in, uh, which prophet is it? One of the prophets is told to eat a scroll. It may be Zechariah. But he's told to eat a scroll. And he goes to eat the scroll. And he says it tastes sweet in the mouth, but it churns in his stomach. It's sour in his stomach. Confession is a sour, sour thing in our stomachs. Because it forces us to admit that we're not enough. We're not good enough. We're not capable. And some of us say, well, I already know. I screw up. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Hi. I'm, my name's Michael. <laughs> I'm the president. <laughs> of this club, right? But confession actually helps us because it forces us to admit that we're screw-ups. See, confession helps us to overcome our deficiencies and the way that it does that, by the way, is by making us face them. I seem to remember Paul having this thorn in the flesh and he prays to God three times to take it away and God doesn't take it away. And, and, and what does Jesus say? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Confession shows us our weaknesses so that his strengths can be manifested in us. That's why we're going to do something really uncomfortable. By the way, Romans uh, chapter 4 verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. See, we can't be blessed until we've confessed. So, we're going to partner up, and we're going to confess sin to one another. Scary, I know. You are not allowed to partner with someone that you're married to. You have to partner with someone else. You three ladies can get together if y'all want, if that make y'all feel a little better. That's okay. Groups of two or three are fine. But we're going to confess sin and pray for one another. I told you that you can't do a series in the spiritual disciplines and not actually practice them. So let's go ahead and partner up and let's experience a little bit of this, this forgiveness and see what God does. Father, we thank you that you are a God. You know our weaknesses, but we, we can still confess them to you. And we know that when we confess them with a broken and contrite heart when we trust you to forgive us and trust you to help us and trust you to provide the payment for our sins that we could never afford. Father, you do forgive us. 
you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we also thank you that you've given us a community where we can confess sins to one another, where we can not just talk about the weather or how the game went last night or um, what we're going to cook for dinner, but Lord, where we can share a bond that just doesn't exist in the outside world. God, we thank you that this church is a place where we can honor you, where we can live life together seeking your glory. Father, help us do that. Make this a church where people experience your forgiveness. Make this a church where people come to know forgiveness from their sins and Jesus Christ is their Lord. Make this a church where we grow disciples who can confess sins to one another and experience the freedom of living in your forgiveness. Have this be a church where we as individuals and also we as a body are working and striving for your kingdom to be manifested on earth. Help this be a church where you are glorified every single day, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, not just in times where we meet, not just in particularly good preaching days or days where we got special music or um, things to look forward to. But may you be glorified in every moment of every day through this body until your son comes and brings all the nations under his footstool. Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign God of the universe and that you have given us the ability to come to you weak, sinful, broken, and leave from your presence strong, justified, and made whole. You do your work in us this week. In Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen.